We're going to continue our series in John 1, and as we do, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 13 this morning. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer as we prepare to hear his word. Father, we thank you for this inspired and errant word that we have given from you, that we may know you, that we may hear from you, and that we may be changed by you. So Lord, would you do that now? Would you speak to us, and would you change us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 6, and we'll read down through verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. John writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As we open John's gospel, and as we've been for the past several weeks looking at this first chapter, we know that the gospel of John is a bit different than the other three gospels. And even though John does not detail the events of Jesus' birth as the other gospels tend to do, especially in Matthew and in Luke, he still tells us a lot about Christmas. Instead of unpacking the events of how Jesus came into the world, he gets straight to the point as to why he came into the world. His particular emphasis uh, throughout his gospel really is on the divinity of Jesus as we saw that in verses 1 through 3 already. And now we continue with this concept of light, of Jesus being the light. Light and life, as Jeremy preached last week, light and life as being expressions of the incarnation and ultimately our salvation. And so what we find here in verses 6 through 13 this morning are uh, critical verses that help us understand more about the impact of the light, namely Jesus. Because when we think about Jesus as the light, we need to know that this changes everything. You either have Jesus or you have darkness. We know that Jesus is the light, and as last week, he is not only the light, but he is the life. Here in verses 6 through 13... John continues to unpack for us several important truths about this light and, uh, and things related to it. Let's walk through several observations that we have regarding the light. First of all, we have the truth about witnessing to the light. 
the need for there to be a witness. Over the past few weeks, we've seen how John, the apostle, has pointed to the fact of Christ's divinity and how he came to be God in the flesh, light in the darkness. But you'll notice here in verse 6, there's a bit of a, I don't want to use the word awkward, but maybe a bit of an awkward transition. John speaks now about another man who's come from God. You'll notice that we have an interruption in the passage. In fact, if you read verse 5, if you go back to verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It, it, it transitions naturally to verse 9. Then he goes on there in verse 9 about the light. But instead, you have verses 6, 7, and 8 that's kind of inserted here as a bit of an interruption, and it's an important interruption. Here we have a man sent from God whose name was John. Do not get him confused with the same writer of this gospel. You have the apostle John who's writing the gospel of John, and now we have an introduction of a man named John, and we would know him later in other passages as John the Baptist. Maybe more accurately here, John the Witness. We're told that he came as a witness, one who would testify to the coming of Jesus. And I think there's a couple of important things that we, hear, that we see here about God sending John as a witness. First of all, we see his plan, God's plan through John. We we see that John was sent from God. There was a man sent from God, sent in in the sense, not in the same sense as Jesus was sent. We know that John was conceived naturally, had two earthly parents. We go to that text in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 25, and read that account. But the fact that he was sent points to God's calling on his life. John served as a prophet-like person. He had a prophet-like role in ministry. And God's plan, God's call for him was to come and bear witness to the light. We know that John would play a unique role in salvation history. He was the forerunner. He would be positioned as the one who would be pointing to the arrival and the coming of the Messiah. He would be, in essence, the very first witness to confirm the life and ministry of Jesus. You could just jump over to verse 29 of this same chapter. We see that John is there, and on verse 29 we see the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was John's calling to point to the true Savior. John's gospel in particular places a an important emphasis on the role of eyewitnesses. <laughs> Throughout that, you'll see this, if we were to go through the Gospel of John, you would see time after time again, there's this emphasis on witnessing and eyewitnesses and how that was so important to the, uh, to the life and ministry of Jesus. We think about that. What, why is an eyewitness so important? An eyewitness is important, we know, because it helps to establish truthfulness about certain things, certain facts. As a confirmation. So God in his wisdom, according to his plan, not only sends his son into the world, but he does so with people confirming his life and his ministry and the purpose for which he came. Jesus is not a self-claimed savior. 
Be careful about those kinds of people. God sends him, and he placed witnesses to confirm the truth about him. We know that John's role was unique. But I think that even in the uniqueness of his role, it teaches us something important about the plan and purposes of God. You see, God has had, and he will always have, a witness. This is how God works. We know that God, throughout the course of human history, has had many witnesses about the unfolding of his plan. We, even in the life and ministry of Jesus, you can see that unfold in this gospel alone. In John chapter 4, verse 29, the Canaanite woman who serves as a witness to the coming and arrival of Jesus, she says, come to, to the people around her, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? In John chapter 5, verse 36, we know that the works of Jesus serve as a testimony as a witness about him. It says there in verse 36, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works the Father has given me bear witness about me. And then in John chapter 12, you have the crowds serving as an eyewitness. The crowd, it says in verse 17 of chapter 12, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. We know that we get to the, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, and Jesus tells his disciples, then you, will be, you shall be witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You see, what we see here is just a testimony to the way that God works. God did not just drop the greatest news in all of human history into the world without a witness. He gave John to bear witness, to serve as the forerunner, to point to the coming of Christ. And in a way, John serves as a type of model for us, doesn't he? The world around us continues to live largely in the darkness, and it is our responsibility to point them to the true light, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Coupled with his plan, we see John's purpose, his purpose. John served as a witness for one main purpose, and you see that in verse 7, don't you? He came as a witness to do what? To bear witness about the light. Why? That all may believe through him. There was a reason John was pointing people to Jesus. It was so that people would believe in Christ. It's an important truth that we need to remember. John was not a man seeking to to merely make a name for himself. He, he, he didn't have the big head, so to speak. In fact, he would lose his head. Literally. Verse 8, John, or excuse me, in, in verse 8, we see that there he was not the light. The apostle John, referring to, the, to, the, to, to John the Baptist, he was not the light. In fact, in verse 19 and 20, John himself would say, I am not the Christ. Not the Christ. See, John got it. He knew his mission was simply to proclaim the truth about Jesus and not himself. I want you to think about that for a minute. Why was it necessary for there to be a witness to the light? I mean, it would be kind of strange, wouldn't it? 
assuming it was a clear day, we would walk outside and I would say to you, hey, the sun is shining. You kind of look at me like, it's, like I'm really strange, like, well, you're, that's obvious. And even now we know the sun is shining, even though it's cloudy, we know it's, it's bright outside because there is sunlight. Even though the clouds are filtering that light, there's light, we know that. So it would be strange for me to try to convince you today that there is a sun and that it is shining. That would seem odd, wouldn't it? That there would need to be a witness to that. So why then does there need to be a witness to the true light, to Jesus? The reason is because the world is blind and living in darkness. In fact, if you were to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says it clearly. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is why we need the light and we need witness to the light because there is a worldwide blindness that exists in our world today. John came to simply point the spiritually blind to the true light so that they could have their eyes opened and see. Friend, that is indeed what we've been called to do. We are called to not be about the work of ourselves, but we are called to be about the work of the gospel. John got it. Those those who serve as the best witnesses to Christ are those who are the most selfless. I love an old story about Charles Spurgeon. In fact, there was a story that was told about a group of American Christians in the 19th century that planned to visit London for a week. Their friends, excited for the opportunity, encouraged them to go go hear two of London's famous preachers and bring back a report. So on one Sunday morning after their arrival, these Americans attended Joseph Parker's church. They discovered that his reputation for eloquent oratory was well-deserved. One exclaimed after the service, I do declare it must be said, for there is no doubt that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher there ever was. And the group wanted to return in the evening to hear Parker again, but they remembered that their friends would ask them about another preacher named Charles Spurgeon. So on Sunday evening, they attended the Metropolitan Tabernacle where Spurgeon was preaching. The group was not prepared for what they heard. And as they departed, one of them again spoke up and said this, I do declare it must be said, for there is no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior that there ever was. Quite a difference, wasn't there? It's exactly what John understood his role to be. was to be one who gave witness, who bore witness to the one who mattered. To the one who gave witness to the one who would bring us hope and salvation. In chapter 3, verse 30, we know that John the Baptist would later say that about Christ that he must increase and I must decrease. And John would pour out his life bearing witness to the true light so that, as verse 7 says, all might believe through him. Friends, listen, no matter who you are as a Christian, One of the distinct purposes of your life and of my life is that others might believe through our witness. If you claim to follow Jesus Christ, 
You know him as Savior, Lord of your life. One of the distinct honors and distinct privileges and callings and purposes of your life is that your life might bear witness in some way to Christ. No, we're not like John the Baptist. He had a very unique calling, but that in that unique calling that he had as the forerunner, as the one who would come and bear witness to the ministry of Jesus, he, he bore witness. In a similar way, we also are called to that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus actually says, this gets confusing, because we know in, later on in John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, verse 14, guess what he says? He says, you are the light of the world. Time out, how does that work? How can Jesus be the light of the world and then him turn around and tell his disciples, no, you are the light of the world. I think an illustration to help that is this. Think about the moon. The moon actually does not shine. It does not give off light itself. It only reflects the light that comes from the sun. So at night, when the sun has disappeared, we are still enjoying the sun's light coming through the reflection of the moon. In a similar, similar way, we are to reflect the light of Jesus as those who have received the gospel. And therefore, we reflect the light of that gospel to those around us. Friend, I just ask you a simple question. Is your life being lived in a way that bears witness to Christ? In your conversations, in your decisions, in your demeanor, in how you treat people, whether at school or in the office or at the work site, how is your life bearing witness to Christ, or is it? Even as a church, we have a corporate responsibility to bear witness to the light, don't we? We're not about us. It's one of the most dangerous things a church can do is be about itself, is to, 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 to build a ministry around a, a personality or a pastor or a preacher or to, to build a, a name for itself in the community because it does this. No, friends, our responsibility individually and corporately is to be a witness reflecting the beauty and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world who desperately needs him, not us. That is what our calling is, to be witnesses to the light. John was witnessing to the light, laying that foundation. But the second truth we see about the light is understanding the light. You see that in verses 9 and 10. And I'm not going to camp here too long because Jeremy really helped us understand about the light last week. A couple of truths, though, that I think John expands on in these verses about the light. Number one is it's genuine. Notice what he says. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then in verse 9, the true light, which enlightens everyone. The true light. That word true carries this idea of genuine or real. John is basically saying that although other lights might come, Jesus is the real deal. He's the one that is genuine. The one that you must build your life on. There's no other light that can address the greatest problem we all have. That's why Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. He doesn't say, I am a light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Friends, there are many false lights in this world. There are many claiming to have their own lights. Or some will even say, well, all lights are valid. Just follow the one that makes you feel the best. Friends, don't get it wrong. There is only one light, and his name is Jesus. He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way through which you can have your sins forgiven and be right with a holy God. This is who this Christ is. I'm not saying there aren't other good things in the world that help us know ourselves and the world better. I'm not saying that in God's common grace there are plenty of things that bring some form of illumination from time to time and, and are helpful. But at their very best, the lights of this world are only partial. There is only one true and ultimate light that will bring you everything you need, and that is found only in Jesus Christ. He is the true light. Friends, it may be that some of you are here and you've been seeking for illumination and so many so many other things and so many other places and, and you're trying to find hope and you're seeking light, you're seeking illumination in, in some way or another and we're here to tell you this morning that Jesus is the light, that he is your hope. Look no more and rest yourself in the mercy of Christ. He is the genuine light. But notice a second truth about this light. It's global. It's genuine and it's global. The true light which enlightens everyone. The word enlighten, it just means to make visible. This light that has been since before creation is a light for all. Now he's not saying here that everyone sees and embraces this light. This is not a type of universalism that John is espousing here. He's not saying that everyone that's ever lived actually believes in this light. He's simply saying that the light of Christ is available to everyone. He's for everyone. We, we know that this is true even from the Old Testament, don't we? This is not a New Testament concept. The continuity of Scripture teaches us this quite well. In fact, if you were to go to Isaiah chapter 42, you could read that whole chapter about the Lord's chosen servant. Pointing forward. I want you to just hear a few verses here from Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 42 verse 5, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. You know that Jesus ultimately fulfilled that role. Israel fulfilled that role in some limited degree. They failed to fulfill that role, but when Christ came, he fulfilled it perfectly. Friends, when we think about this idea that the true light is that light which enlightens everyone, it's a global light. This means... That this good news is a global message. This implies that we have an obligation to make sure this light reaches the ends of the earth. 
Why do we talk about this Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Why, why, do we, why do we make much about that during this Christmas season? It's because of this. Because the gospel is a global message that must be heard in every nation. And there are people who continue to live, whether across the street or across the Atlantic Ocean, People continue to live in darkness. And there is one light that will save them. And we have a responsibility to make sure that that light reaches the ends of the earth so that they can know the true and lasting hope. Remember, this is a global light. Not only is there things that we should understand about the light, there's a response to this light. We see the witness, we see more understanding about it, but we also see responding to the light here, the importance of responding to the light in verses 11 through 13. Back in verse 10, actually, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. We established that two weeks ago when we talked about how Jesus is the creator. Yet the world did not know him. Even worse, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Even though Jesus is the light of the world, that does not mean the entire world will accept him. We've said this many times here. There, there are two types of people in the world. In this case, there are those who are in light, in the light, and those who are in darkness. Those who are dead, those who are alive. Those who are lost, those who are found. There's no third category. There's no, I'm neutral, I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence, I'm waiting to make a decision about Jesus later. That doesn't exist. You are either in darkness or you are in light. Jesus is the light, the rest is darkness. Two responses to the light in this text. You have the rejectors. Look at verse 10. Again, the world did not recognize him. The world didn't know him. When Jesus came into this world, the world was oblivious in many ways, with few exceptions. And then in verse 11, his own people did not receive him. Think about that. The state of the world was in such condition that, one, it didn't recognize the Savior, and then Jesus' own people, the Jewish people, did not receive him. The same people that had long anticipated the day when Messiah would arrive. I mean, they should have been there rolling out the red carpet for him. But instead, Jesus was born in a manger. He became a refugee to Egypt. Later on, the religious leaders sought to stone him, and one of his very own would betray him for silver. This is the reception the Messiah received. 
It's not the way you'd expect the creator of the world to be welcomed. We know that more is going on, don't we? This is a spiritual situation. This is a spiritual reality that we see unfolding for our eyes. I want you to consider John chapter 3. I know that we know verse 16 quite well. But later on, just a few verses after verse 16, comes verse 19. This is what we read, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So why are there people who reject this light? Because they like the darkness. Friends, I know that we, we often struggle with this, don't we? Especially when we're, we're trying to share the gospel with someone, maybe a friend, a coworker, a family member, and we're just struggling to, to share Christ over and over and, and we don't know what to do. Here's the situation at hand, spiritually speaking. Here's one of the realities at play. Is that people love the darkness. They don't like the light because the light exposes sin. The reality of who they are. And they would just prefer to keep in the shadows. Because the reason so many refuse to come to the light is because they love their sin more than they do the light. They don't want their sin exposed. And so when you pray, this should help you pray for people who are lost in their sins, right? As you're praying for them, now you understand a little bit more about their condition. They, they like darkness. They like their sin. So Lord, would you help this person find sin so dissatisfying? Would you help them understand that this is not what will ultimately make them happy? We're praying more accurately. This theme is repeated throughout the Gospel of John and it continues to be the case today, doesn't it? We live in a world filled with darkness and the reality is that people love the darkness more than they do the light. People who reject. But there's also those who receive. Even though Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him, notice verse 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, friends, there are some who do. And that is good news. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There are those who do actually receive and believe in Jesus, actually believing into his name. It's not just a mere acknowledgement, an intellectual awareness of who Jesus is. It is a belief that leads to a trust and a dependence upon Christ. And notice what's true about those who believe in this way. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Remember that's why John came, verse 7, so that all might believe through him. Well, those that do, notice what the text says about, about them. Those who received, those who believed He, God, gave the right 
to become children of God. They receive a new status. A status they previously did not have, nor could they claim. Listen, no matter who you are, you're not born into this world claiming rights with God. The only right you have with God is to be separated from Him. Because of our sin, because of who we are. You see, it, it, it comes through Christ. It comes through an embrace of Christ, a, a believing in Christ, a trusting, a depending upon Christ that changes things. He gave them the right. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. And He gives us a new status. Listen, no one is physically born into God's family. That's why Jesus says to to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And that requires an act of God. You can't birth yourself. Verse 13, we get that, that important divine perspective of how all this goes down. It's ultimately a work of God. Notice he says about those who believe and receive He gives them right to become children of God. And notice how that happens. Who were born not of blood. It's not inherited. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. You don't will your way into heaven. Sorry to all my free will Baptist friends. You don't will your way into heaven. Those who are born of God. Friend, if you are going to have a new birth. It must come from God and He alone. Where He changes you and gives you that desire and that will to trust in Him. It's not just something you muster up in your own heart. It is something where God comes and He transforms you. This is not a natural birth. It is a supernatural work of grace. Notice the two privileges that we have. The privilege of adoption. The privilege of adoption. Think about that. As you become a true child of God, this means you have a father as well as a family. God doesn't just take us from darkness to light and say, okay, you're on your merry way now. He brings us into a family where he treats us as sons and daughters. We have one that we can trust eternally, even when everything in this world goes bad and lets us down. We have a God who is faithful, a father we can trust. We have a family that he brings us into. And he treats us as sons and daughters. See this privilege of adoption, this privilege of regeneration we call the new birth. And so the promise is this, believe and receive Jesus as the true light. And if you do, you can be assured that it is because God has worked in you to enable you to see him for who he truly is. Friends, the truth is that the entire human race is divided between these two two groups of people. There are those who reject and there are those who receive. 
And those who have received will inherit a wonderful status, a wonderful privilege they could have never gained on their own. And those who reject, really they're only continuing in their rejection. Chapter 3, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. He's not neutral, he's condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And your belonging to the light is based upon this response to the light. It's not based on your family. Don't, don't cling to, to your mama's faith, your daddy's faith. Hope that they can kind of get you in the door. That's not how it works. It's not based on your good works. The fact that you're here week before Christmas. Maybe that's even better. I mean, I'm going to be here next week, Pastor, but I'm two weeks ahead of time. God's going to let me into heaven because I'm really going after it today. That's not how it works. We're happy you're here, though. It's not based upon your religious performance. How many books of the Bible you've read this year? How many hours you may spend praying, as great and glorious as those things are? The only thing that makes you a di- the only thing that makes a difference between you continuing in darkness and you living in the light is Christ and what He has accomplished and who He is and the God-given response to that. Friends, we live in the darkness, but God has not left us without light. He's not left us without hope. And my simple, my simple question to you today is this, are you trusting in the light? Are you trusting in the light? Not a light, but the light, the light of the world. Are you trusting in him? Are you clinging to him? Are you basing your hope in him and him alone for your standing before God? And friends, if you are, are you living as witness to that light? Does your life demonstrate the reality that you have been adopted and made a child of God, that you've been given the right now to be children of God. Does does your life reflect that? Do, Do people around you know that? Are you able to bear witness to others about the work of grace that God has done in you? And let's be faithful in our witnesses this week. Let's be faithful in our understanding of what this light's about. And let's make sure that we have received the light and not continue in rejection of it. Let's pray together. Father, as we, as we reflect upon this glorious hope, Father, we recognize we live in a very dark world. We recognize that we live in a very broken world that's filled with so much darkness. Oftentimes it's overwhelming. 
Over, uh, many times, Lord, we, we just wonder, how, how could, could it get any worse? But Father, it's even in times like these that we are encouraged. That there is hope. That there is light. That there is salvation and that is found in Jesus Christ. Father, it's my prayer this morning that if there would be anyone here today that does not know Christ, does not know the light of the world, that you would work in them. That they would be born of you. That you would so consume their hearts and minds and wills. That they would see you for who you are, that they would see their sin for what it is, and that they would understand that Jesus is the true light of the world and that there is no hope but in him. God, would you draw them to yourself today in that way? Would you make it evident that there is no other way of salvation, but there is only, that there is hope only in Christ? Father, would you draw them to yourself today in glorious fashion and would, the, would you help them to come running to you in faith, clinging to you in hope, knowing that even in the darkness that they can have hope and they can have life because of Christ. Father, would you help us as your people? Lord, would you help us to walk as witnesses to that light this week? Lord, this very day that we would be found faithful in being the men and women and boys and girls you've called us to be, that we would bear witness faithfully and that we would continue proclaiming the truth of who you are and that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. Father, we thank you for what you've done in him, and we thank you for the hope that's ours in his name. We pray this all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.